you are now tuning into the Four Feathers podcast brought to you by Chicago Sports Nation. Hello and welcome to episode three of the Four Feathers podcast. I am Johnny Nani and I am joined by Tyler Jones and Ron Luce. Uh, we are waiting on our fourth feather, Tony Marchese. He is recording his White Sox podcast, Shy Sox Weekly, doing a little 108 over there. So we may bring him in later. But Ron and Tyler, how are you guys doing tonight? Good, sir. How are you? Doing well. Doing well, my friend. Doing well. Well, guys. It is officially hockey day. Let's um, go. Season opens tonight, so this is going to be the season preview episode of Four Feathers. So we've got a lot to talk about with the team, from lineups to injury situations to predictions. So let's just jump right into it and get going here. Um, Blackhawks play at the Ottawa Senators tonight at 6.30 Central Time, and the projected lineups have are going to be what they have been in practice for the past few days, uh, minus the sickness uh, replacements of a little flu bug going around the Hawks' room. But So we're looking at a first line of Debrinkat, Taves, Cahoon, second line, Saad, Schmaltz, Kane, third line, Kunitz, and Isimov, Kampf, fourth line, Kruger, Johnson, Martinson. So let's start with, before we get to the defensemen, let's start with the forwards. Uh, Ron, what are your thoughts? Um, I really like the top six. I, I think Cahoon has come on really nicely during the preseason. He's shown some nice playmaking ability. Um, really did not expect that, I don't think, from him coming out. I think a lot of people anticipated him being maybe a fourth-line guy or needing some seasoning in the AHL. Uh, obviously, he had that threat of going back to Germany if he didn't make the team. Um but with all that being said, he's he's really shown out and impressed. He seems to have really good chemistry with Taves and, and Debrinkit up on the top line. Um, so I'm excited to see them, hopefully for, obviously, a bigger stretch of games. I think they've only played together for maybe two or three games now. Um, the Saj Schmaltz-Kane line easily can be one of the most fun lines in hockey this year, and I, I think we're going to touch on that plenty. But I really want to talk about that fourth line. Um, I think that third line is not going to be that bueno um, just because, I mean, I like David Camp. Don't get me wrong. Anisimov's, you know, carrying boulders behind him when he skates. And I think Kunitz is going to be a nice little player, but that fourth line I think is going to be a really nice surprise. Um, I like Johnson making the team. I think he's earned it. He He's looked really good in Rockford. Um, I've been to a lot of Wolves-Rockford games here in Chicago, so got to see him plenty. And, you know, just I like the idea of having numerous centers, even if they're playing the wing, because somebody gets thrown out of a draw, you know, you can throw them into the dot. Or if, if Q wants to play kind of the matchup game or whatever side of the ice the faceoff is on, he's got options with guys like Anisimov and Camp on the same line. And then the same thing with Kruger and Johnson. So I'm excited. Um, I also hope Hayden gets into some games. I think he looked good in the preseason, but... Uh, for now, he's the odd man out. So, Yep, so Hayden will be 
probably rotating in fairly frequently, I'd be guessing, on that fourth line, probably with a Martinson type, since they both bring that heavy game. But, Ron, you stole the words right out of my mouth when you were talking about the multiple centers. We obviously saw David Kampf and Marcus Kruger play center for an extended period of time. I know Kruger's been around longer than Kampf, but Kampf was mainly center all last year. Kruger was during most of his time, his previous stint with the Hawks. So I think they're going to be able to be a little more aggressive on faceoffs, maybe cheat a little bit. And if they get thrown out, it's not that big of a deal because they have another center that's just stepping in from the wing. Um, but yeah, it, it, I think the most of the scoring is, for the most part, going to come from the top six. That's not really a shocker to anyone. We still get the names there. And uh, touch on that first line. It's kind of been a revolving door there at the uh, right wing spot along Taves. I mean, Debrinkhead obviously solidified himself last year. So uh, they're kind of looking for it with panic and a number of others, Hinostroza, Hartman, what have you last year. So hopefully Cahoon can get in sync with those guys. Uh, Tyler, you got any comments on the forward group there? Yeah. So uh, kind of piggybacking off of what you guys were saying, I do like the top six is probably as best as it's going to get. Um, at least at this point in the season, I do like how Cahoon kind of just jumped in. It's he's the kind of the player that we do need to jump in on that first line. We were worried about it in the beginning of the year, at the end of year last year, we didn't really have anyone to fulfill that spot. And um, Saad being able to play with two playmakers and Schmaltz and Kane, I think will really kind of push him to have a better year than he had last year. I don't think he ever really found it after those first couple games, and uh, I think it'll be a different year for him going forward. The bottom six, I do like the fourth line, as you guys were saying. The third line, um, I like Camp. I wish I think he's more of a fourth-line player, and I think Anisimov, uh, for him to even be successful on the ice, he needs to be around players that can play, make, and score goals. And I think if I had to choose between the two of Kampf and like a Dylan Sakura, I would go with Sakura. I think that they probably should have flip-flopped that, uh, sending him down to Rockford and maybe putting him on the third line to give. I mean, I'm pretty, he also plays center, doesn't he, Sakura? Yeah. So bit, I think yeah. you kind of get that same versatility there, but also more of an option to score and play make. Yep, no, yeah, I agree with you. You saw Nisimov when he played with uh, Kane, you know, his numbers, you know, shot up, whereas he's going to be more in a defensive role here. And Ron, I think yeah, I was laughing a little bit under my breath when you said it, but, you know, he's carrying boulders behind him when he's skating. So, <laughs> yeah, and I think to that point, uh, Ty, just like you mentioned, I think Sakura is better off on the wing, though, just because of his size. Mm-hmm. And I, you know what? I think with Sakura, what they're doing is I call it the Nick Schmaltz treatment. And because we saw, you know, in that that first season when Schmaltz and Mott were essentially like the fourth line, um, you know, they played up. They looked okay at best. Um, But then once Schmaltz got some time to go down to Rockford and kind of be the guy, he came back up and you saw a brand new player and kind of that renewed confidence that he didn't have originally. So I think that's what they're kind of hoping for with Sakura. I mean, he... Looked good at the end of last season in his brief stint with the team. You know, but he really didn't, you know, stand out this year in the preseason. So um, I don't think it's a bad move sending him down. I think we're going to see him at some point in the year, whether it's injury or performance related. Um, think Vinny Hinostroza of last year. Right. right. So mm-hmm. I don't I don't think that's a terrible move. And also 
I don't want to take up too much time talking about this, but uh, Cahoon also has some center experience as well from overseas. So you have that kind of two guys on the first line as well that can take draws. And I would argue you can throw Saad in the dot if, if Schmaltz was to ever be kicked out. Yep. Sakura is the one that was, you know, probably the last man off the roster, I would guess. Um, so I we're definitely going to see him this year. That, that's not a question. He's going to be around uh, – some at some point throughout the season obviously we've seen it in the past with shuffling guys up between rockford and uh the uh professional club in chicago so i don't think we'll have to wait all that long to see dylan sakura but um that's where we're at right now so again your top six or your uh forward group is debrinket taves cahoon first line Saad schmaltz kane second line kunitz and isimov comp third line Kruger, Johnson, Martinson, fourth line with Hayden as the scratch will be rotating in. All right. Now we're on to the defenseman, gentlemen. Um, it was rough last year, and it's looking a little bit that way this year again. Top pair, Keith Yokiharyu. Second pair, Manning Seabrook. Third pair, Gustafson Ruda. Davidson is a scratch who will probably be rotating in for Ruda's spot. What are our thoughts here? Either of you, feel free to kick it off. Oh, man. <laughs> I mean, I like Keith and Yokoharu. Um, the rest of it makes me kind of want to vomit. Uh, I think Seabrook and Manning, is it's not going to be a good pair. I don't think they're going to play well off each other. And uh, Gustafson, Ruta actually isn't that terrible, I don't think. Um, I like Ruta a lot. I'm kind of high on him. I think he played well last year other than being injured and then Gustafson can bring it sometimes from the point, and I think that a lot of the time that's what the Hawks are missing uh, from their D group is that they're not active offensively, and we've seen a lot more uh, in preseason from Seabrook, so that's definitely something to to write home about going forward. I mean, that's one of the ways he's most ex- effective other than throwing the body. So uh, if him and Gustafson could get the sticks going and fire some shots, it'd be definitely a plus. Yeah, I, I I don't like the pairings as they stand. I think the first pairing's fine. Um, something that actually was brought up when I was talking um, in our group chat with uh, the guys over at the rink, um, they mentioned the Keith Yokiharu pairing being kind of what the McAvoy pairing was last year when he first started the season playing with Chara, Mm -hmm. you know, have that young guy playing with that grizzly vet who can bail him out of situations if needed. Um, as well as, you know, kind of give that confidence to him on on the ice. Um, I've read a lot of things over the last couple of days too, that Yoki Haru is not afraid to communicate on the ice. Um, I think it was, um, I don't remember who, who, you know, tweeted it, but they said they could hear Yogi Haru communicating with Keith from the press box, um, which is encouraging. You know, it shows he has confidence. He's not afraid to, you know, talk. And I think that's a huge, huge key to being a successful pairing. I think ideally with that, you know, those bottom four, I think I would rather see Gustafson with Seabrook because I think they complement each other a little better mm-hmm. where Seabrook's going to be more of a stay at home guy and, you know, rip a shot from the point here and there. Whereas Gustafson can be the more, I'm going to carry the puck up the ice, maybe come deep into the zone and make a pass, you know, where a forward's rolling up then to, to kind of cover his his spot. Um, and then those bottom three, I don't know. 
I'm high on Ruta when Ruta plays to his potential, and he's just been really inconsistent. He shows those flashes of brilliance, so I agree with you there, Tyler. But um, I don't know. I you know, and Davidson didn't look that great either. Nor did Manning. I think those. I think those bottom three guys are just going to have to be figured out probably through like the first five to ten games of the year. It's just whoever's kind of playing the best, whoever of those three, you know, whatever pairing with those three involved makes the most sense and isn't a total liability out there. I think is what you're going to see, but. I think in a perfect world, if your top four is Kiki Okiharu, Seabrook, Gustafson, I mean, it it could certainly be better, but I guess it could also be worse. Yeah, so Brandon Davidson made the team after uh, being on a professional tryout contract in uh, training camp. So he brings a little bit of offense, just a little bit, and he's also got a little bit of an edge to his game. So he, I would say he's kind of the in-between type if you're looking for a different you know, style of play on a particular night, uh, depending on who you're matched up against. So uh, I definitely agree with you, Ron. We'll see some shuffling there to try and figure it out at the beginning. Uh, Manning, you know what you're getting with him. He's a bruiser. He's a stay-at-home guy, kind of the old-school mentality of a defenseman. Um I mean, I'm, I'm not too high on him, but the only thing that I like is we saw in the preseason game against Ottawa, he got under Brady Kachuk's skin, and they went off for coincidental minors. But you're getting, if you can get one of those big guys around the front of the net, one of those uh, guys that's going to screen your goalie, uh, if you can get him off the ice, and honestly, probably how beneficial for us if Manning's off the ice for that period of time, too. <laughs> So um, that, that's where I think a little bit of his value will come in. Um, as far as uh, Gustafson, Ruda, you guys kind of hit on my points. Uh, I agree with you, Ron. I think Gustafson, Ruda pairs a little well, or excuse me, Gustafson, Seabrook pairs a little better than uh, Gustafson, Ruda. But th- there'll be some uh, shakeup between the uh, first, I'd say, three weeks of the season to actually figure out what they're doing. Um as far as a set plan for defense going forward. So um, that's it for the defenseman healthy to start the year. We'll touch on injuries later. So the, again, your first pair is Keith Yokoharu, second pair Manning Seabrook, third pair Gustafson Ruda with Davidson rotating in for Ruda as of right now. All right, on to the goalies, gentlemen. Cam Ward is starting the year in net for us. Not completely ideal with Anton Forsberg as his backup. What are our thoughts here? We'll get to Crawford in a little bit, so let's stick to Ward and Forsberg here. Yikes, yikes, and yikes. Yep. <laughs> if we're being totally honest. Um, I mean, Cam Ward, if we're, if we're being totally honest with ourselves, Cam Ward had one good season in his entire career, uh, and that's because he was a rookie and they won the Cup. Other than that, he's not that impressive. I mean, um you know, they were talking and they being um, the crew of the Steve Dangle podcast were actually talking about Cam Ward the one one day. And they mentioned they're like, wow, you know, this is a guy with and I, I looked up the number. I got it right here. A career nine oh nine save percentage, which, you know, nowadays you're looking league, league average for a competent goaltender is probably nine fifteen, maybe. And he's like and they were like, and he got three million dollars with a no no move clause. And, you know, I know I know Stan was des- desperate because, I mean, he obviously knew more about Crawford than anybody else did. But I just it, I, at least it's one year. 
That was what I told myself when they signed him. I was like, thank God it's one year. It's not two. They didn't try and, you know, give him a sweetheart deal and give him that second year. So, you know, I'm just hoping as long as he can play at least average, that would be great. And then Forsberg, I just want him to – if this guy can play like he did for Cleveland or when he was Columbus. down – Yeah, when he was down with their AHL team, which mm-hmm. was the Monsters when they had their Calder Cup run. I mean, he backstopped them to that Calder Cup run. He was arguably, you know, their most valuable player during that run. If he can even be three-quarters of the guy he was then, you know, make enough saves to give your team at least just a chance, he could be a competent NHL goaltender. You know, he won't be elite, you know, but he could be okay. You know, okay enough to at least, you know, give your team a chance. And then if you have a solid defense in front of him, you know, that's just going to benefit him even more. But... I'm just I'm gonna be holding my breath every time a shot goes on the net this year. So um bear with me and I hope my heart doesn't explode. I agree with you there, Ron. Tyler, you have anything to pile on top of that? Um, you know, just other than the fact that I think that uh it's possible that Ward could be a better backup uh for Crawford if that if everything works out and we kinda see our normal goaltender situation come into effect there, but uh, I think that, you know, kind of what we were talking about earlier with Sakura and giving him that Nick Schmaltz treatment, it may be worthwhile to do the same for Forsberg if we do see Crawford return. Uh, you know, gain him some confidence and maybe he can come back to the NHL and regain his form a little bit and maybe play with a little bit more competency. Yep, not a whole lot of experience for Forsberg NHL-wise um, before coming to the Blackhawks. So kind of thrown into the fire last year. Hopefully has a little bit of a rebound year because at least as it looks right now, we will be relying on that combination of Ward number one and Forsberg number two, at least to open the season here. But I wanted to get in. All right, so that recap your goalie situation. Cam Ward starting opening night, Anton Forsberg as your backup. Now to get in to who we really want in goal, Corey Crawford. We actually had some good news regarding Corey Crawford. Gentlemen, it's a good thing. It's, It's good to hear this because they've been so vague and inconsistent with uh the updates that they had provided ever since he had gotten injured last December. But from reports at practice yesterday, Q likes what he sees so far regarding Crawford's tracking ability to track the puck, his quickness, anticipation, and movement. He even went as far as to say that he could return potentially October 18th at home against the Coyotes, but that would be a perfect scenario, meaning that there's no bumps in the road on the way. So obviously Crawford's a huge question for this team, but we have to be encouraged from where we were at least thinking at this time last week, even when we recorded um, about Crawford's status. Uh, What are you guys realistic predictions for when we're going to see Crawford and what to expect out of him? So I don't know if I have a realistic prediction on to when we will see him, right? Because, you know, mm-hmm. I, I want to I wanna have one, but every time I think something's happening here, another wrench gets thrown into the mix. But what I will say is that uh, seeing what Q has said about him this far, about tracking the puck, quickness, anticipation, these are all massive things. Because, you know, like we were talking about in the last couple episodes, when someone 
if it is what they're saying it is, and let's just go with that conspiracy theories aside, if it is a concussion that has sidelined him for this long, those things are definitely in the forefront of my mind when I think about Crawford stepping into the crease. Is he going to be able to jump back into his old form? Is he going to be able to track the puck? Is he going to be able to be quick? Is he going to be able to have the correct anticipation? And, you know, is he going to play sheltered in a way because he doesn't want to kind of get back to what he just went through? So seeing Q say that about him really kind of puts me uh, in a better place and more hopeful for the future for Crawford and the Blackhawks. Yeah, and, Ron? And, and to that point, I mean, I, I do have a prediction of what I think he's going to be back. I think earliest we see him back is around Thanksgiving. Um, latest is maybe the first two weeks of December. Um, just because, and, and Ty, I'm going to piggyback off a point that you made because I think it, it sums it up well. You know, when you're when you're a goalie, you can't just kind of step in cold. You know, it, it's really hard to do when, you know, I mean, he, him being game ready, quote unquote, means he's healthy, good, um, but it doesn't necessarily mean he's in game shape or in you know the focus that he needs to be in a game. You know. I mean, it, it might be beneficial, and this is something I've seen tossed around in the in the Blackhawks Twitter sphere, is maybe he plays a game or two in Rockford as a rehab assignment, um, just to get game action. Because what if he is complacent? What if you know he can make a save using his mask and he's hesitant to do so because of having a concussion? Mm-hmm. You know, you don't want him. It's it's not worth throwing him in too early and then him being gone even longer and potentially ending his career. You know, he's up there in age. I mean, he's what, I think 33, 34. And so, you know, he's already on the back end of his career. It's not worth risking his health if he's going to be able to help the team longer term. Um, and just for him as a person, it's not worth it. I mean, if we're being totally honest, you know, you've you've seen guys come back too early from injuries before and it just does not do them any favors. So I, I think especially if Ward and For- the tandem of Ward and Forsberg can play halfway decent hockey and the defense can play well in front of them kind of by like on a defense by committee where you know you're not going to have a superstar but as long as they would play well as a, a group um then maybe they can i don't want to say limp but maybe they can you know get back to that time frame when he is ready and, and still be at least competitive you know maybe they're outside looking in but at least they're kind of in that in that framework, or if they're not doing well at all, maybe just let him sit out even longer and then let him come back when he thinks he's fully ready. Yep. So both good counterpoints that you guys bring up there. Um, I'm going to split the difference a little bit there in between Q's, you know, optimistic prediction of October 18th. I am going to say probably early more to mid November. If I were to predict when I think Crawford's going to be back, um, I know they had said they were going to start to be more open about the injuries and the reports that they give to the media. Um, so this may be a, one of the first chances that they've had to do that. And so we don't really know how to deal with it, but I do like what I'm seeing from that. And then also from videos at practice. So I have seen him, you know, he's been practicing with the team the past three days, which is encouraging. Um, still doesn't look up to game speed to me, but, um, from, you know, not hearing anything about him at all. It's a huge leap forward to actually see him out there with the full team practicing, not just with uh, goalie coach Jimmy Waite. 
Um, so I, I would shoot mid-November if we're going to uh, make a prediction on when we think we'll see him. Um, but, yeah, there, the, guys recover from concussions differently. I mean, it can affect anyone differently depending on the nature of the injury and, um, you know, how long those symptoms linger for you. So um, it's been a long road for him. But, honestly, I think he, he's a gamer type of guy, and I think he's rearing and ready to go to get uh, back into action. I know – you had said the possibility of playing a couple of games at Rockford to get back into the uh, speed of things, Ron. I know he had shut that down or, you know, said, no, I don't think so when they had mm-hmm. asked him about it. Um, but I, I do think it could do him some well, just to honestly, just get him seeing shots, getting, getting pucks on the body. Um, just he's been out of uh, competitive game action for so long that I think it would do him some well, but we'll see how the team manages it down the road here. Um, I think Q pinpointed that October 18th date because there's four days. They're at home on the Saturday before the 13th against St. Louis, and they have four days off all at home. So I'm assuming they would try to be getting them ready there in that stretch. And if all were to go perfectly well, as you know, as was reported, uh, Thursday the 18th versus Arizona is probably the earliest we would see him. So things to keep in mind regarding Corey Crawford. Um, a lot's going to ride on him. It, it, it's, you know, this team is not the same team that can outscore you anymore. So we need that rock and net. And if you can get back sooner rather than later, that definitely increases their chances of being competitive this season. So on to other injuries, because Crawford is not the only one starting the season on injured reserve. Uh, Gustav Forsling, who had wrist surgery back in July, he's skating with the without the team currently, but he is still out until mid-November. Um, Connor Murphy, another defenseman, out with a back injury. He's still off the ice completely for four more weeks, so he's out until early, mid-December. Um, what? How are the Hawks going to be able to fill those holes that those guys leave? Because both of those guys would, without a doubt, be in the defensive mix um, if they were healthy to start the season here. Yeah, agreed. I think, you know, had everything gone the way they wanted it to and everybody been healthy, you're probably looking at your top seven rather than what it looks like now. Yoki Haru's down in Rockford and Davidson doesn't even make the team. Uh, mm-hmm. It's probably Forsling and Murphy are the, the last two. Um, with all that being said, uh, you know, Forsling, Forsling showed a lot of great promise early last year. Um, you know, he was playing on that second pairing with Ruda. They were getting thrown in a lot of high pressure situations. They weren't always playing the greatest, but they, they were playing well. And it was Forsling was encouraging the way he was coming along. Um, then he took a kind of a step back and had a little bit of a, I think he had a little bit of a nagging injury last year and then, um, played okay in Rockford. But I think he was kind of embracing that more of a shutdown role, um, so it'd be nice to see him to continue to play and continue to develop. And <laughs> I don't think we appreciated Connor Murphy as much <laughs> until we do now. Um, Cause I mean, really, if you look at it late last season, he was probably their best defenseman for quite a while. I mean, he was, he was putting shots on that. He picked up quite a few of his points late in the year last year. Um, he just, he looked decent, steady at home, you know, nothing, too crazy. I mean, it, it, it could have been 
significantly, you know, worse in terms of his play. It could have been early season Connor Murphy, but it wasn't. And now I think we're, at least I am, I am really missing Connor Murphy. I hope he gets back as soon as possible because I think he would look really good on that second pairing, you know, with maybe a guy like, you know, Gustafson, or maybe when, you know, everybody's healthy, maybe he slots in on that third pairing and takes turns playing with guys like Manning, Ruda, uh, and Forsling. Um, although that all being said, I wouldn't be surprised if Forsling plays down in Rockford this year because of Davidson being on contract now. Yep. Yeah, so I think that, um, you know, I hate to say that these injuries may be a good thing. Not, I mean, they're definitely not, but... Uh, like Ron said, it kind of gives the opportunity for Yogi Haru to play some real NHL minutes, and mm-hmm. with with a prime defenseman, maybe not prime, but a fantastic defenseman in Keith. So, if we see these guys return and we still feel that Yogi Haru should be at an NHL level and still playing, I think our D situation gets significantly better if these two can jump into the mix um, without having to sacrifice Yogi Haru to Rockford and and still prime him up a little bit. Because if those two jump in, you know, Manning is probably off to the wayside. Um, and then Gustafson and Rudart would be the two kind of fighting for a spot. You know, Davidson, like you said, Ron, he, I mean, he's still on contract, but I don't think, I mean, how much, how much play time do you think he'd get if Murphy and... Uh, well, he wouldn't have made the team because he was right, on the yeah. right. but contract, I mean, so... With what's going on right now, if Murphy and Forsling jump back in and we want to keep Yogi Haru in the top pairing, mm. he's, I mean, he's on the bench. He's going to be riding the bench. Yeah. 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 Or they, they try and pass him through waivers and I'm sure he would pass through, but right. I mean, you never know. Right. It's similar to the Franson situation last year. Mm-hmm. No, that's, yep. that's actually a really good way to look at it. Yeah. So. That does it for the injury report. Again, you have Crawford out with concussion symptoms, Forsling out with a wrist injury, um, Murphy with a back injury to start the season. So one last uh, just note, the Hawks are running a 1-3-1 power play this year. Um, first unit is going to be Tave Schmaltz, Debrinkat, Kane, Keith. Second unit is going to be Anisimov, Saad, Cahoon, Gustafson, Seabrook. Um, guys, I don't think the one three ones uh just I mean, I, I don't think the world of it, but I also think they needed a change. And they're looking for the perfect pass too much last year, whereas this opens up a few more lanes. Mm-hmm. Um it, it just moving the puck around more and then encouraging guys to shoot more from the point. So and I would assume that at some point we may see Yoki Haru on one of those power play units too. You know, Q likes to run the line blender even with a special teams unit. Yeah, I'd agree with that. And I really like the first unit um, as it gives us a chance, the fans a chance to see Kane and Debrinket play together. I'm really, I'm really a big advocate for them being on the same line because of Debrinket's uh, right-handed shot kind of mimics in a way what Panarin did on the mm-hmm. line with Kane. Um, I really wish that they would kind of get that better together. But I think, you know, that's a good mechanism to test out if those things are going to work. Because on the second power play unit, we kind of see a similar thing where uh, Saad and Cahoon would be playing together because of uh, 
if they were to switch Saad and uh, Debrinket. So it would kind of give us a good idea if they would have some chemistry going as well. So I, I do like the power play units a lot. And, um, you know, maybe, as you said, getting Yokoharu in there for either Gustafson or Seabrook at some point in time, or even Keith. Yeah, I like the 1-3-1 like system for the Hawks. I mean, I think, you know, for those hockey fans that are listening, uh, the 1-3-1 is made famous by the Washington Capitals. Yep. Uh, um, their their top unit alone is worth noting. Um, and I, I kind of like our top unit in that 1-3-1. I would say don't be surprised if at some point in the year that you see Keith take Seabrook's place in, in what we just mentioned and Yoki Haru slot in there. Mm-hmm. Um, because you know, that the one, three, one really works when you have a competent, somebody who can pass the puck well down low, the quarterback, right? Well, yeah. And so you, Oh you, yeah. You're, t- you're, you're like, you just mentioned Yoki Haru. So I was thinking, yeah. So yeah. Yoki Haru. Yeah. He slots in really well as that, as that, as that quarterback guy at the top. And he can feed down to uh, Debrinket and um, Taves on the half walls. You got Schmaltz sitting in kind of that high slot, which was like the TJ Oshie role for for Washington. And then Kane is your down low guy playing behind the net. And his job is just to open guys up and create lanes. Um, and then I think with even with the two group, if you put Keith in there instead of Seabrook, Keith kind of slots in as that kind of pop- – quarterback guy i mean he's not a great power play quarterback but he can do it um and then you can have gustafson and cahoon as your guys on the half walls and then you play maybe anisimov behind the net i mean he's not the greatest passer in the world but he can again he can do it um because i really like sod being in that high slot i think he's the guy that needs to be in the high slot because he's also willing to go to the net yeah that's Uh, i mean a lot of the time you see sod score goals it's right in that high slot area on a one-time pass or something like that. So, um, yeah, I think it works a lot better for the first unit. I, it's going to be tough for that second unit to score goals on the power play. I think, uh, if they do, it's going to be dirty goals, which Anisimov had a ton of last year, like a, a good chunk of his goals were power play goals. He was our top mm-hmm. power play performer last year. I'm pretty sure. 11 and, goals. Yeah. And all of those were, I mean, none of those are, pretty wristers from the point you know what i mean so yeah he's if he's gonna take up that role of being near the net or behind the net like you said ron i think that fits him well but um the rest of the line we're just gonna have to see how they perform yeah for me i'm just excited to see something different because they've tried it and even with all the skill that we had even on some of those great teams some of those great playoff teams seemed like we could never get a power play going because they were always just sitting and waiting for that perfect opening. Mm-hmm. So that's not always going to happen. The only detraction I would take from the one, three, one is uh barstool chief at it last week when he was on, um, it works a lot better when you have a big shot on that circle, like Ovi, like mm-hmm. you, you had mentioned, uh, you know, the caps being the team that made that famous, um, for being very successful in the power play. Um, I don't think the Hawks have, you know, obviously nobody's going to have a shot like Ovi, but I am excited to see what Debrinkat can do in that role. So we'll see. Um, it, they, we can't say yes or no on it, um, yeah. right now. So we'll, we'll see how it, uh, plays out and hopefully we're scoring some power play goals here to, or hopefully it gets going early. Cause I feel like that gives them momentum, you know, it, talk about momentum as, uh, you know, more of like a gritty like thing where, you know, it 
But I, I think it matters in hockey. It, it matters a lot, whereas you get a lot of confidence if you have a co, uh, you know, unit that's on the same page and they can find each other. So. If you have a power play unit that can score goals, I mean, that can change a game because you know that at any moment, if another team slips up and you happen to be on the power play, that's that's a big opportunity for you. And just like if you have a good PK unit as well, if you know that you can kill penalties in a big moment of the game, I mean, that's got to be good for a team's confidence. Yeah, and it never hurts, too, when, you know, you look back at the, the I'll call it the heyday Hawks, you know, pretty much between 2010 and 2015. Uh, their bread and butter was out shooting teams by a large margin. Um, and the one three one kind of gives them that opportunity now because that whole system is designed around shooting the puck. It's not like you guys have mentioned, looking for the pretty play, the pretty pass, the pretty shot. It's fire pucks on net, fire pucks on net, fire pucks on net. And even if your power play doesn't score, if you have a successful power play where you get five, six decent chances on net, that's going to bode well later in the game because you just, the more traffic you get toward the goaltender and the more shots that are, you know, being seen by him. Um, you know, it's just going it, to, again, it's going to carry that momentum and they're just going to play better because they're going to realize, hey, we just need to keep shooting the puck and something's going to go in. Yep, absolutely. So, again, Hawks trying the 1-3-1 this year. We will see how it plays out for them. All right, we are getting close to wrapping this thing up here. So we don't need an in-depth point number, win-loss, overtime loss prediction here. But let's get some general predictions for the season. Where do you see the Hawks finishing this year? Hey, um, <laughs> uh, Ty, do you have a good answer at the moment? I'm I'm collecting my thoughts. Um, to be on a lighter note, I think I'm going to channel my best Bill Swarsky super fan here and just say that I think that a particular team from a particular <laughs> town with a particular good Italian beef, is it going to go 152 and all this season? <laughs> 82 and all. Yeah, 152, Bob. Yeah. <laughs> no, I think I think we have a you know we have like a five, 500 team this year, um, it, mm. and that could be uh, maybe even high hopes. I'm not sure. It's it's tough to say with the current situation that we have. Decor is yep. not looking Lot so up good. In the air. Yeah goaltender situation not looking so great i like the first two lines and that's pretty much all we can run with at this point you know so yeah 500 season i think yeah i'm gonna ron if you're still collecting your thoughts i'll go um i'm gonna say slightly below 500 missing the playoffs um for me it's i just don't have a whole lot of faith in the decor playing as a cohesive unit um, I, I do think we get, like I said, I predicted earlier, I think we get Crawford back probably about mid November ish, but even with that, I don't know if, uh, is going to be enough. Um, I think Connor Murphy, even when he comes back, I don't know if he's going to be ready to step in and be the, uh, X factor that's going to help save this defense. Cause uh, just looking at, looking at the names there, uh, we'd really need to step up year from uh, got both Gustafson and Ruta, I would say, and obviously a rebound year from both Keith and Seabrook. I just don't see all of that coming together at once. So slightly under 500, no playoffs for the Hawks this year. Ron? Yeah, I agree. I agree on the no playoff note. I do think they're going to be better than they were last year, though. Um, mm-hmm. They So they were a 76-point team last year, 33 wins, 39 losses, 10 OT. 
losses. Um, I think this year, I think they're actually going to be slightly above 500. Um, and I actually, I'll tell you whose record from last year I kind of like and maybe in line with the Hawks for this year uh, is that of the Calgary Flames. So last year, the Calgary uh-huh. Flames were 37, 35, and 10, which was good for 84 points. I would say the Hawks probably hover between that 83 and 86 point range this year. Um, because I think you're going to see bounce back years from guys like Saad. I think Schmaltz is just going to continue to get better. I think he gets close to the 60 point plateau. I think Debrinket gets 30 goals. I mean, he wasn't that far away that last year. He got 28 last year. Um, Kaner is going to, I think, have a better year. I mean, granted, he's still had a really good year. I think he was a 71, 72 point player. I think he gets close to 80. Um, you know, so I, I mean, I mean, there's still going to be a ton of growing pains. This team's still going to be frustrating as hell next year, but um, I think they're going to be slightly better. Still missed the playoffs, but I think they're going to be slightly better. All right, and now we finally have Tony Marchese joining us, fresh off of Shy Sox Weekly, and he has some predictions to give us for the Blackhawks' upcoming season. Tony, first of all, how's it going? Well, Johnny, it's it was a long night. I, I'm not going to lie. Um, I got held hostage a little bit longer than I wanted to. Um, it's, it's very late in the night. Um, shout out to the 108 guys for doing what they did to me tonight. Um, (laughs) I've got some Blackhawks predictions that I want to get to, but first off, Johnny, how are you guys doing? Good. Good. We, uh, we've had a good run at it so far, breaking down what's going on. But, um, you know, we can finally get the fourth feather in here. So um, let's get to it. Let's get to your predictions, man. So uh, I'll be honest. We're recording this post what you guys did um, on four feathers. So I have no idea what you guys predicted for the Blackhawks season. Um my predictions might come as a bit of a hot take to you guys. Maybe they won't. Maybe they will. But uh, I do not think that the Blackhawks will make the playoffs this year. I think that they finish in third place um, and and miss out on the playoffs by at least 10 points. And uh, Hosa is going a little bit nuts back over there. Uh, we, we talked about my dog Hosa. Uh, he's yeah. not happy with my, with my predictions for, for this year. Um, nor should Marion Hosa be, but, uh, I, I don't think that the Blackhawks have what they need to compete this, this season. And a, a few things behind that would be the defense. So, yep. One of one of the things that we saw during this preseason was uh, a, a few of the young guys get the call from Joel Quinville that they wanted to see more, and we're talking specifically about Bachquist. Host is really not happy with <laughs> with what I'm with what I'm providing here. Uh, we wanted to see more of him, and and one of the things that that strikes me as peculiar. I guess for the for the Blackhawks season is that we had talked about it ad nauseum that we thought that he was going to get the 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 first few games to to kind of gauge his level and then 
they quickly sent him back to London. I'm I'm not mm-hmm. quite sure I understand that move. And again, this is coming without knowing what you guys talked about earlier. I'm not quite sure I understand that move. I would have liked to see what he could provide. Secondary to that is I'm not quite sure that Yokoharu is going to provide everything that we expect him to. So there's there's so many question marks on the defense that I I don't get a warm fuzzy feeling that they're going to be able to play on the power play that or on the on the penalty kill that they should and then uh, on the power play I don't think they're going to have the the amount of offense that they need to from from the D line. The next thing that leads me to believe that the Hawks are not going to make the playoffs is the bottom six. The bottom six is currently as it stands hot garbage. There's no there's no real difference maker down there. Yeah. We go back and we look at some of these teams that the Hawks did well in the playoffs with. There's no difference maker. I don't know what you guys said again, but that bottom six, that third line right now is hot garbage. The only name that really sticks out is Anisimov. Yeah. And he is a third line center right now. But besides that, what else do they have, Johnny? I, I don't know yeah. what else to so, tell you. So to fill you in a little bit on uh, where we were since you're joining us after the fact, um, no mention of Boquist, so yeah, I agree. I would have liked to see what he could have provided. Granted, even if it was only for nine games, um, you have that flexibility to do that. So I thought that's what the plan was going to be. But um, you echoed my sentiments um, about the back end. I just don't see them being able to, first of all, keep Bucks out of the back of their net, and then also provide any sort of offensive um, reassurance. Like, I, I, you know, Yokohari is going to have his growing pains. Um so, the, and other than that, I mean, you're obviously you have Keith and Seabrook, but you know, Seabs is slowing down. Keith isn't the same Norris Trophy guy that we've had. Um, and then, other than that, the rest of the back end is still kind of unproven. So, unless Gustafson's po- poised to have a complete breakout year, I, I just don't see it happening there. And then, when you're you hit it, hit the uh, nail on the head when you said the bottom six is underwhelming. Um, I mean, the only name that sticks out there is Anisimov, just like you said. And the only positive that we were able to really draw from that is that David Kampf and Marcus Kruger have both played extended stints at the center position. So maybe their advantage will be in the face-off dot. Maybe Anisimov and Johnson, that's who's going to start the year as a fourth-line center, Maybe they're not as afraid to cheat on a draw. You know, sometimes you get away with it. But if you get kicked out, you're not as afraid of losing that draw with a, you know, former center stepping in to take it. But, yeah, other than that, I don't see much production coming from it. It's going to be very top-heavy with the lines assembled as they are right now. Yeah, it's... I hate to steal a White Sox spin at the Cubs here, but you hate to see it. (laughs) Uh, 
you you really do though. You you hate to see it. You hate to see what's going on with the Hawks right now. Um, if I had to really close out my predictions, uh, you're looking at maybe 80 points max. I, I yeah. don't know where you guys came in at. Uh, 80 points max, kind of a middle of the road year. Um, one of the things that that I would not like to see is that kind of middle of the road don't really know if we're competing but we're not quite tanking the year uh because i don't think that really serves the hawks well um all that really does is put us in a position where we're not getting any talent out of the draft we're not making our draft picks appealing to other teams in a trade um Mm -hmm. and that's what kind of worries me about this squad is yeah you've got top end talent with patrick kane you've got jonathan taves duncan keith some of these guys if Corey crawford has a healthy year you could see this team kind of be fringe playoff but do you want them to be? And that's one of the questions that I ask myself constantly is, do you want them to be fringe playoff? Or do you want them to go above and beyond that and actually be a contender? Or do you want to take this year and say, listen, this isn't the team that's going to bring you home the cup. Let's commit to a top four top five draft pick and try and get another guy that's going to turn our franchise around. And I think that's where they have kind of this disconnect Mm -hmm. where they need to make a decision. You can't straddle the fence on we want to appease the bandwagon fans and the, the, the draw that we've had over the past decade versus we know we have a deficiency we need to address it we can't make these moves via trade the only way to address our needs is through the draft let's go get what we need in the draft and we're not going to care about what we put on the ice so they're stuck between a rock and a hard place very cliche but Johnny, I don't know where you find that balance and commit because you've got guys like John McDonough who are heading the marketing of this team and they want to draw fans. They want to bring the money in. They want to they want to grab the momentum that that this team has had and it's it's becoming increasingly harder to do that with the product that they're putting on the ice. So I don't think this team is going to do either or. I have a bad feeling, and it's a very bad feeling, that they're going to kind of straddle that middle line. And that's uh, that's kind of where I think they'll fall. It's kind of the worst place for them to go. But mm-hmm. that's, that's where I'm at with it. Yep. Ron and Tyler and I all said that in our predictions. We all believe that they'll fall somewhere in that sort of range. Um, I mean, it, it's tough because the reality of the situation is when you're looking at the future, like you had said, addressing your needs in the draft, 
um, where they're going to finish most likely in the middle of the road sort of, uh, you know, placement at the end of the year, that's not going to get you the, um, the reinforcements that you need. But at the same time, you got to look at it realistically, they're not ready to fold this thing with Taves and Kane and Keith still on the roster and Crawford. Obviously they're still, you know, Quenville even gave a date, potential date for him to return. So, um, you know, they're, they're going to be, they're going to be uh, gunning for it. Um, at least a start. So that's just, I think where we're at. And um, I mean, <laughs> it's hard to like still have, big huge franchise players on your team like that and just say you're gonna tank so uh, that's not the direction they're gonna go and they will most likely end up missing the playoffs and being one of those middle of the run teams so that that's just where we're at with it unfortunately yep. and, and that's where i that's where i come in with my predictions is it's yep. going to be disappointing to people like us who want them to pick a lane um i think it's it's easier said than done um i want to apologize for not being on this entire episode to everybody uh i had to record the season finale on chai Sox weekly johnny you actually jumped in on that i appreciate uh appreciate your voice uh on that podcast um, for four feathers, all I've got to say is uh, this is going to be a great year. Um, maybe not for the Hawks, but for the podcast. Uh, we've got a lot of stuff that we want to bring you guys. And we've got nobody better than the crew that we have lined up here. Uh, I'm really looking forward to the coverage that we can bring over the course of the season uh, into next, into many more podcasts over the course of the next infinite amount of Hawk seasons. Um, Johnny, I'm going to have to hop off. It's been a very late night for me. Um, I know you guys have done an excellent job. I can't wait to listen to what you guys have provided. It's going to be, it's going to be really cool for me to listen to this since I wasn't on the full episode, but um, yeah, this, this is awesome. I I'm very excited for this season just in the aspect of the fact that uh, we're going to be covering it together. And yep. and that's really cool. Yep, absolutely, Tony. Thank you for joining us and giving your predictions. You were pretty much on par, even without being on the episode, you were pretty much on par with uh, just about what we were saying. So we're all in the same ballpark there. And uh, win or lose, we'll still be covering this team no matter what. So stay tuned for weekly updates on the Hawks here on Four Feathers. Absolutely. It's going to be a really fun year. Can't wait to bring uh, tons of insights, tons of coverage, and um, hey, let, let's go Hawks. That's that's all yeah. I've got to say. I'm, I'm excited for for opening opening night. Um, I'm going to be rocking my host of Jersey tomorrow, and yeah, let, let's go Hawks. This is going to be fun. It's, it's going to take my mind off a lot of the, the baseball shit that we've had to deal with this past year, and I'm just excited, man. Uh, yeah. This is a lot of fun. Oh, I am too. Hockey season, it uh, rejuvenates me a little bit, especially after, you know, watching 100 loss White Sox team. I think I will be going with White Carcillo, which might be my favorite Hawks jersey. I have a number of them, though, so it's hard to pick. But either way, I'll be watching. We will uh, 
converse about this game and the ones over the weekend um, on next week's episode of Four Feathers. So, listeners, thank you for tuning in. Tony, thank you for joining me. And let's go Hawks. Absolutely, let's go Hawks. Gentlemen, all right, we are getting to the end here. Final notes, Blackhawks play Ottawa tonight, 6.30 p.m. Game is on WGN. Season opener, they will go to St. Louis on Saturday night. And then the home opener is on Sunday night, 6 o'clock, against Toronto, who has a lot of firepower. So hopefully the Hawks get off on the right foot here. Um, I know we'll all be watching. Stay tuned to Four Feathers Pod on Twitter, and we will post updates um, pretty frequently here, and we will post all of our uh, content links and season previews and all of that good stuff and episode links for you guys there. I am Johnny Nani for Ron Luce, for Tyler Jones. This has been Episode 3 of the Four Feathers Podcast. Let's go Hawks!